Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Well, I've got somebody I was just in the field with and probably knows me better than most because Adam actually edits most of my stuff, so he gets all that footage that nobody really sees and and so forth but we've got adam rock with me today and we are fresh off a trip from california and i mean fresh off just back two days now um we'd originally planned to do this podcast on location in california but all of a sudden uh days turn into 14 or 16 hour days and uh those go by really quick so we didn't do it on location we're going to do it yesterday but adam you want to let everybody here know why we didn't do it yesterday well, yeah, um, Mark and I kind of ran into some poison oak and, uh, yeah, it definitely hit me hard. It hit me hard. I had to go to the, uh, urgent care yesterday and, uh, spend three hours there for a, uh, steroid shot. So that was, that was fun. So have you ever got poison oak before? I haven't. I haven't. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, I, I've had poison ivy pretty bad. And I think after I got it so bad, I just, it kind of. I don't know. I just, I, I haven't got it that bad be, uh, again. And yep. I just figured this poison oak, well, you, you pointed out the poison oak cause I've never ran into it before. And, uh, yeah, you know, I made the, a rookie mistake. I, I went to the bathroom right after we got out of that stuff. And, uh, yeah, you could just use your imagination where else we're all that so, stuff. So you got it down low is what you're saying. I got it down low. You got, got it down. It down I mean, low. you got it everywhere, right? Face, arms, but down low probably seems like the most painful. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the flight back home from California <laughs> was miserable. Um, I know the lady had to know next to me that I was just, <laughs> something was going on. Something was going on down there. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little embarrassing too. Cause I mean, I just, I couldn't control it. Like I'm moving around the whole entire flight. I tried to take a nap and yeah, it just, it wasn't good. And, uh, yeah, they, you know, they always say, don't, don't itch it, but I just couldn't help it. But you just kept <laughs> itching it next to this lady on the flight. 
Oh, it was bad. Yeah, the the urgent care lady that had to uh, to kind of look me over. She, uh, yeah, she was like, "Yeah, it's pretty bad." I'm like, "Yep, please do something." <laughs> so they gave you they gave you a shot, but you said it's still yeah. spreading this morning. Yeah, I, I took a steroid shot, which you know they say two to three days it should um, get into effect. But yeah, it just it, it's spreading everywhere. Like I went to shave this morning, and it was all over my neck. And, oh. Yeah. Oh, there's that's poison oak for you. Well, the good news, I mean, two to three weeks, you'll be back to normal. <laughs> two to three weeks. Wow. I was hoping, like, by Friday. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. Because I, I looked, I've got a little bit, like, on my uh, pant line from when we were, I must have been crawling, and I must have crawled through through some of it and then realizing my shirt went up a little bit. Like, <laughs> I've got a little bit there, but, like, I did another another check this morning as I look over myself right now, and I didn't have any other there, but was it? Last spring, I got it really, really bad down in the jungle. Oh, um, that's right. So I'm hoping that was that was my first time getting it, and they the first time's always really brutal. Um, oh, if, you're, if you're allergic to it, first time's worse, and then it kind of goes goes from there. So I'm hoping it it doesn't spread anymore. But it says it can keep popping up for a couple of days after. So Monday was our last day in the field there. So today is Thursday. So it should be done. It should be getting close now. It is. It's, it's it's not fun. And can you imagine if we just decide to move forward with going after that sandbar and that stuff? No. It would have been. No. Yes. Yeah, so, so we we, uh, we got dropped off at the top of a, a big ridge line, and the plan was to walk down. Um, this is after we've been at it for a few days and, and walk down on a, a, a big sandbar. And a sandbar as a as a, a deer for anybody that's listening, not a, not like a sandbar, but like a sandbar. Um, go down on it. We made it down about a hundred yards, and it was just you had to go into the thick stuff either way to get through. And took like fifteen steps in, and there was just poison oak everywhere. And I'm like, I can't. I'm backing out. Backing out. It's too much. I know what's going to happen. Uh, but if we would have went through with that, it would have been bad, real oh, bad, yeah. real bad. But yeah, yeah. I guess. Uh, Let's dig into let's dig into you. For I know you. Anybody that's listening, uh, Adam sat in on a podcast with Lee Vanderbrink. Um, would have been last year, right? Like last winter, we did that. Yeah, year, last winter. I think Adam probably said maybe three or four words during that whole <laughs> podcast. So nobody really knows who you are. I mean, Lee did the majority of the talking, and you head nodded, which obviously on a podcast nobody can tell that you're head nodding. <laughs> so, so like let's. And you've been in the industry for a while. Like, explain. I assume you hunted as at a young age, right? Yeah. So I actually I started a little bit later than I guess most are. Well, everybody that I hunted with now. Um, yeah, I started when I was about seventeen years old. Actually, my dad and I got into it, and my brother got into it at the same time, and uh, it kind of just went uphill after that. I uh, yeah, I, I graduated from Coopsville, um school district in the midwest and uh or sorry on the west west side of michigan and uh yeah we have a uh heating cooling company a family company and uh it's kind of what i went to college for i did my associates for um hvac and uh i got about three credits away from completing it and uh i decided i just it, it wasn't for me um and my dad got into hunting so quick and he uh he wanted to open up a um outfitting company and we had ties with a family in Vienna, Illinois. Okay. And uh they had about 
300 acres with a beautiful house and we got it for super cheap. And my dad's like, well, let's, let's try this out. We had no idea what we were doing. Uh, me and another guy that actually was working for my dad at the time, he was a really good cook. So we thought we we're going to do him and I, we're going to do an all-inclusive five-day hunt, just him and I. Okay. And we had, the first year was all by word. It was, uh, it was called Trophy Ridge Outfitters in Vianna, Illinois. And uh, we took about 15 clients that first year. And we had around, I would say, 700 acres. And we had a really good year. It was just, uh, like I said, we, <laughs> we had really, I was a glorified taxi driver at that time. Like I had. <laughs> You're driving to the stand. I'm driving them to the stand and saying, good luck, you know? Um, so anyways, that, that kind of went on for a couple of years. And um, I decided to go back to school and finish my associate's degree. And once I finished that, I kind of, I, I had to finish it, right? I, I was too far not to. Yep, um, yep. I, just, I just knew it wasn't what I really wanted to do. Um, I did it for so long with my dad's company. I just, I just knew. And uh, so actually that, working in Illinois as an outfitter, you know, you meet a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. um, I met this guy in Ohio and he actually had an outfitter. It was called Triple T Outfitters um, in Logan, Ohio. And uh, he asked me if I wanted a guide. I said, you know, why not? Right. <laughs> I had no idea. I was uh, 21 years or uh, yeah, 22 years old. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, let's, let's do it. So mm -hmm. uh, actually that's where, that's where Lee comes in into play. Lee and I, um, he's our other producer and, He's been on the podcast, um, like you said, and he, uh, we were, we went to high school together. Um, he was a great above, uh, above me. And, uh, let's just say he's a little different now than he was back in high school. A little more calm. <laughs> a little bit more calm. A little, yeah, bit, a little, more calm. A little bit more bearable. Right. Yep. Um, so I actually asked him if he wanted a guide with me. Long story short, we, uh, we went down to Ohio and uh, we brought his family's camper and uh, yeah, we stayed in there for three months and, and guided. And so that, uh, that turned into, uh, you ever heard of dream point? You remember dream point with uh, Justin Oak? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so dream point came down and now his company or now his TV show, I think is called game of inches. Yep. Um, but yeah, dream point came down. Uh, Justin Oak never did, but he had to, uh, to, um, um, pro staff that came down and they were filming and, and we just me and i thought that was the coolest thing like these guys get to go and film whitetail hunts like how cool is that so i uh i went out and bought a camera just a, a super cheap handy cam canon and uh lee and i started filming our hunts and filmed you know scouting and stuff like that and we just really really fell in love with it and uh after you know talking with these guys from dream point they're like yeah you guys should you know looking to go into film school blah 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 so mm -hmm. dream point actually had a film school and uh lee really got into it lee you know knowingly he's uh he's a go-getter and uh he was like, dude, we got to go to this. We got to go to the school. We should definitely do it. And uh, there was a couple of schools that we were looking at: Heartland Bow Hunter, Dream Point, and um, Rusted Rooster mm -hmm. at a film school that we were looking at. Um, it boiled down to, um, yeah, picking one of those, and, and we actually went with uh, Rusted Rooster um, in Ohio with uh, um, JB and and the guys in there, and they, uh, yeah, it was a three day film school in Ohio, and we really enjoyed it. Learned a lot in a short amount of time and uh yeah jb and uh god who was the other guy that was there um who filmed you with north american waterfall slam sorry i'm drawing a blank jameson 
Jameson. Yeah. Yes, Jameson was 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 working there too. And uh, yeah, Jameson picked. I think there was twenty guys there, but he picked Lee and I to go to a scent lock shoot in Midland. Okay, um, it was like that following weekend, and then we did that. And uh, yeah, they asked us to to freelance for them um, for the season, and so that was kind of our door in to the industry. And ever since then, it just kind of skyrocketed. Lee, um, they they actually offered Lee a full time job, and not me. Ooh. Um, so I was like, man, I was kind of butthurt about that. You know, we were, we went into it in the same, same mindset and, you know, he got the full-time job and I didn't. Um, so I, uh, I was like, God, what's next, you know? And, and I filmed Paul Sawyer for, uh, Winchester life. And we went around and we, we had a hell of a year, a year that year. Um, I think it was 2016. Okay. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, we, we, you know, we, when you're in a blind with with people for or when you when you're in a blind filming with somebody for a long period of time you get to know them right absolutely <laughs> yeah and uh yeah he uh he i got lucky and he offered me a job so he uh he owns whitetail properties or one of the owners of whitetail properties and they're based out of um, pike county illinois and so the requirement for me um working for him i had to move down to pike county and i did I, without hesitation, I was like, you know, this is, this is, I think this is the next best step to get uh, back in the industry and get a full-time position. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I got a position as a full-time producer and a, uh, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't touch editing. I was just a guy. You were the camera, the camera guy. Yeah, I was the camera guy. So we, uh, I, I basically what I, I did in, in, in a quick summary, I, went out and filmed uh real estate properties so i did drone work basically glorified b-roll right and photography so i did that for two years and i also filmed gabe adair in iowa and uh we actually ended up ended up towing i, I want to say i don't i haven't looked at it in a while but i think it's the the third or fourth biggest year ever recorded on film that was a 226 and we called him the hammer so i got some recognition <laughs> from that for sure um and then, yeah, uh, Russell Rooster actually called me back and they were looking for another full-time position. Well, this, this position was uh, for editor. And uh, I had no idea how to edit. I mean, I, 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 did a, I did a few things here and there and dabbled with it, you know, um, when I wasn't traveling. But, uh, yeah, they, they wanted a full-time editor. And, and don't get me wrong, Whitetail Properties is a great company. But, again, it was in Vienna or sorry, it was in Pike County, Illinois, and there's not much to do there except hunt. Yep, uh, yep. I had my I had my fiance down there, and uh, I knew she she wasn't happy being she down there without friends and family. Wasn't loving it. Wasn't loving it. So yep. uh, this was kind of my way back to to home. Um, and basically, you know, I, <laughs> I I didn't lie on my resume. Um, they knew who I was. They know, you know, my ambition and and work ethic. And I think that's actually what got me the job. I I knew they they really knew that I didn't have any uh, experience with editing, but that was the full time position. So uh, I accepted the position and uh, basically fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> no doubt. And yeah, I uh, I busted my butt um, and I learned how to edit and very very quick uh quick period um you know using things like linda linda is a program where it teaches you how to edit through premiere and uh gives you really good insight it was very very boring um but i had no choice 
and 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 then YouTube too, right? Yep. YouTube was another thing that really um, gave me a good um, grasp on on editing, and, and you, I mean, you can learn anything on YouTube nowadays. Um, so without schooling, I was able to uh, get that full time position editing, and then within a year, I was editing Rival Wild, um, Winchester Life, and I did some dropped stuff too. So that uh. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a it was a quick learning curve, um, but yeah, it was in a short period of time, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm I'm in it, right? <laughs> and then that's where I am now. So now I'm the senior editor for all of Mark's stuff, linear and digital, and uh, and I, you know, he let me out of the cage once in a while, so I get to hold the camera too. So it's it's kind of a win win. So explain, like everybody that's listening, what goes into a linear episode? Like how much time, and what's your mindset when you go into one? Oh, gosh. Um, well, it's definitely different. So if I'm not filming it, you know, I'm getting a bunch of footage and, you know, we were running two or three guys. Let's 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 say let's go into the North American Waterfall Slam. So yep. that was like one of the biggest projects that I did with you um, or that I found out that was, you know, it 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 took a lot just because you're you're going through terabytes of footage. And I think when I first dive into a project, um, you know, I have to organize it first. I have to get a good grasp. Um, you do a really good job writing notes, and that's huge. And I I I don't I I hope you know or. I, yeah, I, I make all the, the, the producers uh, write notes as well so I can collaborate between what you wrote and what they wrote and, uh, you know, get a good grasp of what what happened in that state. Because, yeah, I mean, you went to you went to how many states did you go through? Oh, man, it was it was like wild. 14 or 15 in Mexico twice in Greenland. Yeah, and another thing too, and you, you and Lene do a really good job is, is breaking each episode down because we do we do twenty six original episodes for linear, so then we gotta we gotta make sure okay we have enough footage for this, and we did it kind of by state, which really helped because you were there for three or four days, and that's I, you know you had terabytes of footage mm-hmm. for each each day, so yeah, um, once I break down uh, all the footage um, and I put it in Premiere, and I kind of it depends. I, I go in these little, these little waves where a lot of times I'll start with all the, the, the kill shots, right? I get all the birds that were shot and I line up all the birds that you had on your list. And I'm like, okay, here's the birds that he killed. Mm -hmm. And then I can, once I build those kill shots out, then I build the story. So then I figure out, okay, where is, where is everything going to go? How am I going to start this? Um, and then it, it kind of goes from there where I just, yeah. It, 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 what's really cool about Premiere too is it's all, um, they, they put it in uh, sequential order. So like all the shots that are filmed are in, in order of how they were filmed. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yep, yep, yep. So then I, I really break that down. So like I use the best shots. I mean, my timeline. So I have to do a 21 minute and 30 second episode for each linear episode. Um, and that's with bumpers and billboards. Um, there's four 15 sec or there's three 15 second uh, bumpers. And then there's a 30 second billboard. Mm-hmm. So um, basically when I start my timeline usually is around 
24 to 25 minutes. And then I go in in each segment, because I have to have four segments, and the segments have to be between four and seven minutes. Um, so that kind of puts a little restriction on how much you can, you know, start with and, and end with. Right. Mm-hmm. So once I, once I get that, all that, the, the good shots and the storytelling on a timeline, then I go through it again and I break it down and I get each segment into, like I said, four to seven minutes, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a timely process. It usually takes me about a good week if I have nothing else going on and I am, I am, you know, well, let's say three to four days okay. with with, the edit, with with actual the edit process, and then it goes into the coloring, um, and then graphics and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's definitely a timely process, but um, each hunt's different. That's why I really like you know what you do is because it's not it's not always just whitetail, it's not always just elk, it's not always just you know waterfowl. It's 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 different every single time, mm-hmm. and that's what I enjoy um, editing different stuff because you just never know what you're going to get into. Now, are you one that edits during the day or are you one that will just get into it and go through the night? Like I know like Aaron and Justin in the past, they they would sometimes they work better at night than they do during the day, which seemed crazy. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's different. You know, once once COVID hit and kind of everybody decided, you know, we don't really need to work in the office. You can work from home. Well, I, I bought a house in, in Muskegon when we moved back to the west side and uh um, my house isn't that big, you know, and, mm-hmm. and my wife worked from home and I got this little nook downstairs and, and, you know, a lot of times I can get, I, I, I do really good in the morning, right? Really okay. good in the yep. morning when like midday comes around. I, uh, sometimes I get sidetracked, right? You can only stare at a computer for so long during the day, but I really do find working out or working at night really helps me zone back. in. I, I, I do, I do take a little break, you know, midday, maybe get some stuff done, but then I, I jump back on the computer when it's super quiet at the house. My kids, you know, asleep, my wife's upstairs and I can just dive right into it. So yeah, I would, I would say night is, is the best for me. <laughs> All right. I feel like everybody's a little, a little bit different. So what's the yeah. difference between like, if you're in the field, like we just got back from California and we'll, we'll dig into that here in a minute, but like when you're in the field in California and filming, what do you do different than the than any of the other guys knowing that you're going to have to turn around and then edit this at some point in time yeah you know i i definitely go into each hunt now not definitely having what's really good too is, is having the shooting background and then having the editing background too i go into each trip basically shooting to edit right mm-hmm. so i i definitely I'm probably the one to overshoot anything and everything just because I know this is going to become a linear episode. This is going to become digital episode, all the assets we get for social, uh, every social platform that we're in. Um, And yeah, I I definitely go into a different mindset, definitely because I know I'm going to be editing everything. So yeah, it's it's and definitely when you're by yourself, right? You don't have that extra shooter to to rely on. So like you're you have to make sure that you're getting the storyline, you're getting social assets, you're getting um you're getting enough content to be able to to produce, you know, a story and you know, from past, I'm I'm sure people know that our hunts can be quick, yep. right? Yep. It can be quick or it can <laughs> be long, can be- anywhere in between. Yeah, yeah, it could be 14 days long or it could be two days long. So I just know going into that, I, I have to make a, a 21 minute and 30 sec or 30 second episode. So like I have to I have to cover all my bases and uh, like 
I mean, you've seen it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of producers mm-hmm. um, in the in the field and in the past years, and um, every producer is different. But yeah, I uh, I definitely like to to cross my teeth and dot my eyes, and like I said, I, I definitely overshoot, but I'd rather have the the material to use and than not, right? Yeah, and I like it. Like when you and Lee, you guys do kind of the same thing in the field. Like I wouldn't call it overshooting, but you get everything as it happens, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like anybody listening like this is how like a lot goes on on tv but like okay so say day two we're on a whitetail hunt and in the morning we we kill and it's a spot and stock hunt right but you've captured everything through day one and everything up to that point in day two so then it's not like okay we killed we got all that done now we got to go back and get a whole bunch of stuff which as you know i i despise that right like i'm the last person that wants to do that but we have oh. you have everything to that point, and then it's like, okay, we need these few little things that we need. Like you need the drone shot now that we're done, or whatever. And then it's like that's it. We we captured everything along the way. It wasn't something we just got it and then went back and got everything up to that point. Yeah, and and I think you can agree with me too. I, we I love real time stuff. Yep. Right. The in the moment stuff is what really captures it, and and people can relate and be like, wow, you know, that's that's off. Um, that's authentic, right? Yep. Yep. Because you're not going back, and you can never reenact what you just went through. Yeah. It just—I don't care how good of an actor you are, you just—you can't. And it's not the same feel. So I really like to grasp everything, like in the moment. Um, and it can be tough too. Like, I mean, for instance, our, our the sandbar hunt, right? Yep. We had we had very little time when we got into it. It was a golden hour. Um, I knew in the back of my head going into it, we had an hour left of daylight. Yep. And, 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 and if we were successful, which we were, if we were successful, if we, when we were successful, like I just knew like we didn't have time to go back and, and shoot all that other stuff. <clears throat> so like I had to, I had to be um, ready and, and to get all that stuff to build that story um you know and then once we killed it was like okay cool we have everything i'm i'm comfortable with what i got i know what i got and uh yeah we went into it it was and it made it exciting too right like so i didn't have to be like oh next morning we have to go shoot everything now exactly it wasn't wasn't gonna be the same light it wasn't gonna be the same like there's so much whenever you do that right you like you try to get everybody to wear the same stuff but everybody doesn't wear the same and it's yeah it's just tough to go back and do that the next day it is. It is tough. Yeah, yeah I think. Uh, yeah, getting that real time stuff is is key, 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 key. So, how many linear episodes do you think you've edited in your life so far? Oh gosh. Um, well, I've. It's. I'm, I'm. I think I'm at close to two hundred linear episodes, and that's between Rival Wild and uh, and. Well, yeah, I would. Uh, God, I would have to do the math. <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I mean, with you, I've been with you for for three years now, and you do twenty six original episodes each um, each year. Yep. So yeah, do the math, right? It's a, it's a lot. It's a That's lot. a lot. And it's then a- with yeah, with Rival Wild too. I was um, AB and I. We uh, we tackled that together. So that was. I think they had nine um, original episodes each year. So mm-hmm. going from nine episodes each year to 26 was definitely uh, an aggressive a step. Change. Yeah. yeah. Aggressive, <laughs> aggressive step. It was aggressive step. And then, you know, throwing digital episodes in there too. It's uh it's a lot. So you had to get quick with your edits. Yep. So what have you seen? Cause you've been in the industry long enough from the beginning to now, how is it, 
How has linear changed in the way that you edit from then to now? Well, um, I would just say it, it's just different. You know, working with with the Kiefer brothers, their stuff was, um, I mean, they, they did a really good job storytelling, right? Yep. Just in case they were really good in front of the camera. And we didn't always have a kill, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think one year they had two kills and they made nine episodes out of it. So that tells you like how well their storytelling was. And, you know, they were number one on the end of our channel for, for quite a few years. Um, and, and then going to you, right. Where, uh, you had multiple kills in in each episode and in most cases. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was definitely a big, uh, a change in, in how I, how the editing style was, um, that I had to go through from Rye Wild to to WTA or, or Mark Peterson stuff. So yeah, that was I think that was the biggest change for me. And then you know just uh, yeah, because there were there was a li- there they were like twenty two minute. They weren't outdoor channels, not as strict as uh, um, is and bumpers and billboards and and timely stuff like in between segments. So like going from outdoor channel to pursuit channel, that was that was kind of a big change too, right? Yep. So it was, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say like it was too big of a change outside of like my process. Um, it was more of just the the, the storytelling and, and, and it's, it was just, it, it was different just from, from you to, from you to them and, and nothing, it wasn't like yours was bad or anything, right? Or, or, or Chris and Casey's was, was bad. It was just, uh, yeah, I, I would say more or less it was just, that was the biggest change from me was the, the storytelling between the two now what's the and difference? trying to fit all your stuff in in, in in four segments right yep now what's the difference between how you edit linear and how you do a digital digital being youtube or anything like that yeah yeah well so i you know i really like digital because there are no restraints right i yep. can i can control what is in each um episode and with like i said in linear i have four to seven minutes between each segment before i have to have an in and out or a close and what i mean that is like i can't just end it with you you know you talking and then you know um or or i can't just end it with a kill shot like it's it's different when when i'm running into to timely segments um i have to have i have to know that i'm gonna end and close and i have to open up again where in in linear we're in digital i have no restraints i can i can i can close when i want i can open it when i want i can i can put in anything that uh it, it's just it flows a lot better i think with digital yep um and uh you know for music and, and how you edit and yeah, the, the the segments are the biggest thing between the the digital and linear. Um, like I said, digital, I don't have any restraints at all. I like I like the the digital just because like I always use this analogy, right? Like you can have an antelope hunt or a turkey hunt. Both sometimes are very quick, right? Like it's tough to take a turkey hunt and make it into a linear episode, right? So, but like that on a digital. It can be a four and a half minute, five minute episode and you got everything you need and it's action packed and it, it's I, I mm-hmm. feel like it's told the story's told better because you're not dragging it out. Oh, the- 100%. yeah, you're definitely you're definitely dragging a little, you know, your, each clip is probably going to drag on a little bit longer than you want just to, just to fill in that segment. Yep. But with digital, you can get in and out. You don't have to drag anything out. Um, you, it can be a little bit more upbeat, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. And I, I really like to edit to the music too. So like music with digital is a little different for me and 
and, and linear, right? I like to, I like to make my cuts on the beat, right? And I have that option to do that with digital versus linear. Linear, like I said, I have to drag on little. I have to drag the clips on a little bit more just to get me through that day or that segment. Now I know you guys did. You and Lee did some hunting for Rival Wild too, right? Yes, yes. Like we, personally, yeah, we we were on we were on a couple episodes. So their 2019 series, um, we kind of switched roles, and it wasn't so much focused on on Chris and Casey, but it was the team. Mm-hmm. So Aaron Lee and myself and Keegan, um, and yeah, we were we filmed our, filmed each other, which was actually a really cool experience. <laughs> Being on the other side of the, uh, well, if not not be or being on the other side of the camera, right? So what are some, uh, like when you were on the other side of the camera, did you like it? Oh man, I'm just not good in front of the camera. <laughs> I mean, some people are good. Some people got it, you know, and it takes time too. It's, yep. it's, you know, I can see just from, from working with a bunch of your old stuff and, and, and seeing what you do now, um, you know, you get in a rhythm yep. and it's, it's yeah. And if you're not in that rhythm, it can be tough. You know, it can be tough. I think it has a lot of added for me personally, cause I'm not, I'm not, behind, I'm not in front of the camera a lot. So like it had that added, uh, uh, stress level for me, I guess. Cause it wasn't, it just didn't come natural for me. Um, it was definitely, uh, you always had that, that, that in the back of your mind, like you're not just hunting, right. You're producing, you're, 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 you're producing while you're hunting. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. I'm not, I, honestly, it, like, some guys, like some guys love it. Right. Yeah. No, it took, like, I've been doing it. This is my 10th year of doing linear TV and I've done just about 26 episodes for 10 years now. So I'm 200 and at least 250, um, episodes in. And it's one of those things, like, it's still weird talking in front of a camera. Right. Like for me, like I look at when I'm in the field, I'm a hunter first versus a versus somebody that's on TV to produce a TV show. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 sometimes tough to talk and explain what you're what you're doing, because sometimes it feels like you're you're saying the same thing a 100 different times. Right. Like we're we're over here. We're going to glass. We're going to work this edge. We're going to do this. And you just keep keep saying it. So then all of a sudden, like now I found myself, I'm trying to find different ways and funnier ways to say it right or and i found the best best thing for me is the interaction with the guys in the field right because it makes it it brings it more to life like that's what happens in the field why not actually show it in the show like there's some oh yeah some of the guys i mean through wtn everything right like most of my hunts that i go on when i travel are outfitted especially like like where we're at in california like i couldn't just travel there and hunt a hearst ranch when when it wasn't with an outfitter. So you have an outfitter. So Jake's there and there's like this interaction between, and he's really good on camera. Every once in a while you get guys that are really, really good on camera because their personality's good. Yep. Um, and then you just kind of, kind of ride that. And I find that the personalities in the field, especially with like you and Lee and um, Jack and so forth, when, when they're in the field too, like the interaction with the, the field producers um, just because, I mean, there's, I mean, think about how much we make fun of each other in the field, right? Like if you can capture just just a, a fraction of that and be able to show it, um, I, I I like it. I like how that stuff comes out a lot better oh. than just solely focused on one guy and, and just showing that one guy. Oh, 100% too. And I think that adds a different element to the storytelling. Um, and and on, to kind of elaborate on that too, it's, it's nice. I know you just, you know, you get into those repetitive uh uh, talking points right throughout each hunt yep. but that 
when the producer comes into play and when you have a good producer, he is trying to trying to help you, you know, tell the story through the process. So like when we're in a position where we're in the real moment, like we're going after an animal, whatever it is, you know, I like to capture a couple audio bites in that process, right? Mm -hmm, Because you're mm -hmm. in the real time. You're not, you know, you personally, and you know, a lot of guys don't always think of that because right, they're in the moment. So then it's the producer's job to be like, okay, I need something here. I need something to get me from point A to point B. Like we need to say something here. Right. Yep. And so like that between you and I, like, you know, and, and Lee and Jack and we can, you know, we can help with that. So it doesn't put all the, the, <laughs> the stress on you trying to figure out what we're going to do or what we're going to say. Yep. So it's, 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 you know, in the field, it's a team effort. Exactly. Now, when you were filming, did you ever have a kill on, on film? Uh, like personally, no, like when you were filming for Rival Wild, like me personally, yeah, you personally have a kill. Yep, oh, yeah, I know where you're getting with this. I just wanted Um, to see, I wanted to see where it went. (laughs) I didn't know, I was just asking a question, yeah. So, I have had, uh, I've had multiple kills, um, on camera. I, uh, I had a really, and they're all, they all came from uh, Kansas, actually. Um, that 2019 series that we put together, it was, we had a gun series, um, for Kansas and uh, Lee, Tegan, and I um, all uh, got a gun tag, and we were the only three that actually got gun tags. So we, uh, yeah, we all killed. I think we were there for five days, and we killed. Uh, we killed in f- each of us killed in four. So I killed opening day. Uh, Keegan killed the following, and then Lee killed two days later. So um, yeah, I've had I killed with a gun, and then I also killed with a bow. But I, uh, I had I had a big mess in Kansas. One, one big mess uh no no too big well okay so well let's back up let's back up so lee and i were in kansas it was uh 2020 we were in kansas for bow so we uh we hit the perfect time i mean it was just before thanksgiving and the rut was wild long story short we got into a buck that uh we haven't seen in a while um and we called them oh gosh what was his name? Um, it was White something. What was the Game of Thrones? What were, what were the? Did you watch Game of Thrones? I've never watched Game of Thrones. Shoot, um, White Walker was his name, and uh, this buck was was giant. It was absolutely giant. Lee and I went into a new spot in Kansas, and and uh, yeah, we were actually used a doe decoy because we were in it. We were in the chips and we had so many eyes on us. So we figured, you know, why not use a doe decoy to kind of help with, uh, with some of the pressure on us. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had, we had white Walker come in and he is, he's a booner. He was a booner. Um, well, I can, couldn't tell you how big he was cause he came up <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> I was, well, that was the first year I, I used, uh, the Garmin, the Garmin site. Uh-huh. And, uh, that's a range finder site. And, uh, yeah, I basically he came in, came in off on a string, and uh, he was at forty yards. I raged him at forty yards. I hit it, and because uh, yeah, with a Garmin, if if people haven't used a Garmin before, you 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 hit the button and it ranges the deer, and then you let go and it gives you the pen, so mm-hmm. it gives you a dot. And uh, I ranged him at forty yards, and. Uh, I didn't range him again and he took like four or five steps. I couldn't tell if he took four or five steps in or out. I mean, I was like in the moment 
ready to shoot and uh yeah shot right over his back so he must have i mean i think he took five steps in uh-huh. and he got that much closer i think i would have shot high regardless um and he definitely knew something was going on there was a little string jump there and uh yeah went right over his back so that was that was tough that that hurt really bad that was uh that was on one of the rival wild episodes i don't want to tell you what episode so you don't have to watch it but <laughs> well, don't worry I'll, I'll look it up and i'll put it in all the notes for this just so everybody can, oh, so everybody can view i can just imagine your expression after that oh i was uh i was on suicide squad there um or suicide watch that was bad that's um what- that's what happens when you like there's so many stories of missing a deer with a bow right and then everybody's just, it's just the feeling after that is like I, it's tough to put into words but it's so bad everyone knows that matthews is a leader in archery innovations and i'm proud to be part of their team but little did they know that i've actually been part of their team ever since i was 12 and started pulling my first bow i personally now shoot their new matthews phase four and absolutely love it so go visit matthewsinc.com and build your next bow. Worldwide Trophy Adventures is your ultimate outdoor connection. We all know that good hunting ground and great outfitters is becoming increasingly difficult to find. The only way to ensure access to the best area and outfitters is to spend a lot of time, money, and effort to research these destinations. Worldwide Trophy Adventures does this legwork for you at no charge. By booking your trip through WTA, you can rest assured that you'll be in a great location with a reputable outfitter that we have certified and endorsed. So if you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out their website at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. No matter where I'm hunting in the world, I'm always wearing my Mindel boots. I guess you could say that I sort of live in my Mindel hunting boots. And right now at MindelUSA.com, you can use promo code MPJOURNEY to get a free pair of socks when you order up a pair of boots. Again, that's promo code MPJOURNEY at MindelUSA.com. Now back to the journey within. Well, and you know, you really just got it like we had that was like our third day out of our seven day hunt. So, and Lee and I were kind of switching back and forth from filming and, and hunting. And that was kind of like my day. So I had to finish that day out and I just oh. had to get right. I had to get right back into like the, the zone. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm still up. Anything can happen. You know, there's, there's shooters everywhere. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, we actually got back, got into the chips again with white Walker that following evening. Um, he ended, we ended up seeing him at 40 yards, but he was in some thick stuff after a doe and he just never came out. And then, uh, yeah, Lee was up after that. And then I came back and, and again, we hung a new set and, uh, yeah, I ended up pulling back on a deer, which we thought was a different deer than he was. Um, but Lee and I were, we were in the middle of a, of an opener of a talk. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, we hear, and I look behind me, and I just see this this framey deer come right down this this ridge line, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, it's it's gonna happen! Like, we got, I'm like, I'm gonna shoot him, and Lee's like, okay, so he gets on this deer, and I just have the 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 worst luck with trees, like limbs, like little little branches that I don't see in the moment because I do definitely get worked up. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up hitting a branch on this deer, 20 yards. Oh, air goes flying. So then I'm just like, I'm a mess. Now you're right flustered. Now. I'm, I'm a mess. 
I just missed the biggest deer of my life. And then I also just missed this deer that I was about to shoot or that I went to go shoot. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't huge by any means. Um, very respectable, but just, yeah, it doesn't matter. A miss is a miss and it, it hits you the same. Um, and then, I'm not gonna lie. He was probably, he was a three-year-old. He came back. <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea what was going on, so he turned he around had and no came idea back. He had no idea what's going on, and and I pull back. I don't even think I asked Lee if he was on him. Um, I had one little window, and I thought I had one little window, and I let it go. And I'm not gonna lie, it hit another branch. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, I was a mess that year. Um, hit another branch and hit him right in that um, Camaro artery in the uh-huh. back, and uh, he bled out, and it was done. And I'm like, <laughs> I looked at, I, I I looked at Lee, and I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> Lee is just laughing at me. Got and, him uh, right in the artery in the back, right where I was right, aiming. Right in the artery in the back, and I'm just like, gosh dang, I need to re- rethink things here. I need to. <laughs> That's too funny. Oh. But you know what? I got the buck down. The buck's down, and I couldn't have been more happy with that. Um, the situation was a little rough, but uh, yeah, I got it done. So yeah, I've I've been, I've got a couple kills on my belt on TV, and they're they're kind of comical and and depressing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> comical and depressing at the same time. So of all your travel, where's the favorite spot that you've you've two two questions? One, where's the favorite spot you've hunted, and then two, where's the favorite spot that you filmed? Oh gosh, I would say, I would say Kansas. I mean, Kansas has oh, it's it, so good for deer. Kansas is such a cool place to hunt, and they're just they're different than like the Midwest whitetails. Like you think, you know, you think back, like you know, deer are edge animals, but these Kansas bucks they just go in the middle of the field. You know, it's wide open. You're hunting these little draws, these fingers, and uh, they just they just. You just, it's hard to pattern them. I'm not yep. going to lie. Um, but Kansas, you know, holds something special in the heart. I really, really had some really good hunts there. I think personally, that was my favorite place to hunt. Um, I guess from a, from a filming standpoint, I mean, just working with you, you've brought me everywhere in the world, right? We, uh, in one year I went to Greenland, uh, for WTA mm-hmm. for, for some client hunts. And then I went to Austria with you and your dad which was phenomenal. I've never been to Europe. Um, and that was a really cool culture change for me. Um, seeing just a different area in the world, which, you know, uh, the United States is so small. Yep. Yep. When you, <laughs> you know, when you get out, it truly is. It, it is. And, uh, that was a really cool experience, you know, going, uh, in the Alpine going after, uh, Ibex, right. It was, uh, that was really, really fun, but I would, I would have to say our past trip in New Zealand was really, really awesome just because, you know, we weren't just going for one specific animal, right. You yep. did the wing shooting slam. We, we shot a wapiti, we shot a whitetail and, um, a free range stag. And so like, it just it brought us to new different environments ecosystems and it kind of was a really cool um and we did a lot in 15 days no that was 12 days we did a lot in 12 days um and we covered some ground so that was that was a really cool experience experiencing new zealand new zealand is the cleanest (laughs) hands down i've ever seen i mean hands down everything's so clean right like did you see any garbage one time alongside the road anywhere 
No, and it's it's such a, a popular destination for travel too. Definitely, um, you know, people that are in in China and Australia, and there was there was just a lot of people there, and it was just there wasn't no trash. Even the public bathrooms were clean. Like yeah. it was it was unbelievable, and the food, right? Yep, can't beat the food. Yep, pies. So I don't know anybody listening. A New Zealand pie. Like I think you just told me like two days ago when we we're in the airport, you look at it like, man, I could use a New Zealand pie right now. Oh, I'll never forget. <laughs> and it's I, like, I can't believe. Anybody that doesn't know, it's not a pie, right? It's not like a U.S. pie. It's not a dessert. It's like a, how would you explain it? It's a. Well, pe- people had pot pies, right? Like a chicken you pot know? pie. Yeah, like that. Like, when like, I grew up, it was a chicken pot pie thing. Yeah. Like a chicken pot pie. I mean, condense a chicken pot pie to holding it in one hand. And I mean, they're all fresh. They're all, you know, freshly cooked. And, you know, you take a bite in it. it and they're all different, too. They're not just your your stereotypical chicken pot pie that yeah. us in America that we're used to. I mean, they had they had beef. They had stroganoff. They had like a taco uh, one breakfast, a taco yeah. one breakfast. They had everything you can think of. And it was fast. Yeah. It was quick. I, I wouldn't say fast food. Right. It it's, wasn't like it's like a home baked fast food, though. <laughs> it was a home baked. That's perfect. It was a home baked fast food. And yeah. It was. I can't believe America doesn't have it yet. I don't understand why we don't have it. Like, I think they would go like crazy. Like if you look at everything else that goes on in like the cities or whatever, like the place in mm-hmm. Grand Haven that sells all those fancy hot dogs or whatever for like seven bucks a piece. And you're like, oh, Man, if, yeah. yeah, like if that place is doing that, like you could throw one of those pie things up there and people would pay. I mean, like whatever. Right. Like it's so, oh. so good. Oh, that and, and, and put them in gas stations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like going into a bakery. But not in like the donuts are fresh that morning, but you're not going there to get a, a, a donut. You're there to get one of the pies. That's like the same the same feel. Like they're they're freshly baked that day for you to come and get it. Hundred percent and filling. So good. Yeah, two may so have been good. aggressive when they, we did the last time. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, I'm I gonna mean, try both of them. It was aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, they were good. I mean, like I said, New Zealand was great, but I'm not gonna lie. This last trip in California was was awesome. It was. Like, it was. It, it was, was. I've had two trips now. Actually, three trips. Truthfully, my whole fall actually has been pretty good. But like better than expected when I got there. Like I knew it was going to be good, but then it's better than expected. Like at the end of it, you're like, man, that was, I had really high expectations coming in here and it was even better than, better than that. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and getting on the boat, um, to Catalina Island, like that was, <laughs> There's a lot of people that can say that they've never been, for one, never been to Catalina Island, yep. and for two, to ever hunt it. Yep. So we this trip we we hunted two different two different areas in California. Um, first, we we hunted California mule deer on Catalina Island. So there are two two things on Catalina Island. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with the obvious one first, right? Anybody that that's watched Step Brothers. <laughs> fucking the fucking Catalina wine mixer. That's it. That's yes. the island. Like we're there. That's the island, man. Like the the memes. The, when we got there, the memes and so forth were flying strong to everybody. <laughs> like that's where we're at. But not only that, like just out of happenstance, right? Like I've had this trip book now for I think fourteen months in advance, and then less than a month, um, the Nature Conservancy there released a statement that they were going to, um kill 2000 deer or basically eradicate all of the deer off the island because they're non-native. Now the deer have been on the island since the 1920s. So they've been there a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's 
small, I'm going to say a couple people that believe that they're ruining the the fauna and flora of the island, even though they've been there a hundred years. That's that's one zero zero hundred years they've been there, that they're ruining the fauna and flora on the island. Well, this was announced literally less than a month before we arrived there. Um, and it's ironic, right? Like we're there to actually, sh- like we're there with a video. Now, now mm-hmm. we could actually show what it's like on the island. You're just not reading. Like you see all these articles and everybody talking about blood origin guy talking about, like you see all this stuff. Well, we just happened to be there, right? Like we ca- we right. captured it. Like everybody said they're going to, man, there are 2,000 deer on the island. They're not 2,000 deer on the island right now. No. There's not, right? Like you, you can very obviously see there's not 2,000 deer. So they're, they're exaggerating on how many deer that are there. And then you learn well, like the, the bison that are on the island, they sterilize the ones that are there. Like they'll eventually die off. So the reason that a lot of the nature people go to that island, see the, the wild bison around, just know when mm-hmm. you go there that they shot them with tranquilizers and sterilized them. There is no yep. next generation of bison coming to the island. No. And I remember the guide saying that he hasn't seen. I don't even know what you call a baby bison or a baby buffalo, but he hasn't seen a, a, an offspring in because he's been there for, did he say, 20 years? Yeah. Yep. Or is it, that was no, his, and, uh, Andrew's, it was, Andrew's been there for what, seven, eight? Something like yes. that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Tenth season, he said he was there. So that, and he hasn't seen an offspring from Buffalo, which, which is very, so sad. It and, is, right? So you see, they're just sterilized. They're just, I mean, they're just walking around at this point. And so you see that, and then you know the story that happened on Santa Rosa in California where they went and eradicated the pigs and then the elk, and then they took everything, right? So mm-hmm. you see it, and the deer, like, there's not a great abundance of population there. They manage the deer herd on the island right now, in my opinion, very well, right? Yes. Like, I would yes. say they probably, through the hunting that happens from residents, people coming in and so forth, like, my guess is, they harvest about 25 to 30% of the deer every year between does mm-hmm. and bucks and so forth. Right. Which is perfect. I would say that the total number from what I heard and saw on the island, it's not 2,000, somewhere between like that 1,000 to, to 1,200, 1,000 yep. to 1,100 mark, somewhere right in there, right? So then you start looking at what's harvested, you're harvesting 30%, and you're like, man, that's, that's pretty sustainable, right? So, okay, even if you wanted to, say, reduce the deer down more, just give more tags, right? Don't come in with sharp suitors and helicopters and, and shoot everything. Like to eradicate it. Like I look at the deer, like you see them all over the island. I look at that as like part of the island. That's what it sounds like. All the locals, like you walk around the Avalon town, all the businesses, all of them have this thing. Sign the sign the petition to stop this, right? All the people that right. live there want the deer. So where it's, it's where does it come from that they want to take the deer from? It's just a, a handful, maybe a couple people. In, in the conservancy that don't want the deer there. Mm-hmm. And and they just, I, I just feel like they just don't understand. And and instead of eradicating the entire population of, of mule deer, you know, it's, it's what? It's 45,000 acre island? Yeah. Yep. Right? So, like, why, why can't they just uh, block off, fence off a certain portion, you know, say, let's take, you know, 10,000 acres, block it off, and then, okay, you want to kill those deer, kill those deer off that and see what the habitat does. See what it turns into. Don't just, don't just go full blown eradicate the, the, the population and say, you know, we're doing good because you don't even know what the, the, the ground or what the, 
the plant and wildlife is going to do. Yeah. You know, it, it could just get so thick that, you know, people can't even experience what they want, right? They can't, they won't be able to see the, the bison or, or whatnot. And it's like, you know, taking baby steps versus just eradicating the entire population. It's like, I just don't get it. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so that's getting off on a side subject here, but that's, that's Catalina. There'll be more, there'll be more coming from that because it turned into a bigger, story when we were there than just hunting for a california mule deer which is part of the north american deer slam i'm doing which again like mm-hmm. on the north american deer slam that's it's cool because it's bringing us to different locations to experience that that one just happened to have a big news announcement right before it came out um so you're like it's just different but it's part of the deer slam it's bringing me to different areas you talked about hunting whitetails in kansas versus hunting in the the midwest and like it's different, right? Like you're hunting different deer all over the world. Some are different subspecies. Some are blacktail, whitetail. Like it's bringing you in and it's different all over, which I love. Like it's different, different terrain, different areas that they do, different movements and so forth. So I just learn a ton along the way. Oh, 100%. I didn't even realize how many subspecies and species of whitetail there actually, or uh, deer there actually was. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton. Like what I'm doing, it's never been, it has never been done before, right? Like you take all these, uh, all the deer of North America that I, that I, like I went above and beyond breaking subspecies out and so forth. Um, just, just to do it right. Like I, I hate when people come back and say, Hey, you left this out or you did, why did you include this? So I just included as much as I, I could in this. Um, but it's cool. It brings us to places I normally wouldn't have hunted. Like I normally wouldn't have hunted Catalina Island in California, but wouldn't have right. until, until I did this. And then it just brought me there at what I consider the right time to, to tell the story behind what's really going on. Oh, and yeah, and and even the the travel going to Catalina, right? Yeah. We uh, we we jumped on a a, a a God, I wouldn't even. What would you? I mean, he was a sword uh, a swordfish fisherman, right? Yep. And he had the perfect boat for for spearing for spearing swordfish, and we were we uh, we were fortunate enough to to get a ride from um, this gentleman, and he uh, yeah, we got into gosh, we got into whales and dolphins and mako sharks, and like we saw all the aquatic life that some people have never seen before, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that really was was awesome, man. That was eye opening. Like I'm not you know us in in michigan we don't we we don't have that kind of uh um uh experiences right Mm -hmm. and it was just a really cool experience the whole thing from 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 entering catalina island to the hunt to leaving like it was it was awesome and then you know that brings us to the hearst ranch yep and that's so I guess being an East Coast guy, like you heard of the Hearst family in the ranch, at least for me, like when I did the research, but until you got there, like they got a castle there. You didn't realize it's one of the top tourist destinations in California. Like until you get there and experience it, right? Like that's, it was so cool. So the Hearst have two ranches um, and it's right around them. Around here, but it's right around 150,000 acres between the two ranches. There's a coastal ranch and then an in, inland ranch, which are about a 30 minute drive apart. Um, and we were hunting the coastal ranch, and this was a, a set up for again part of the North American Deer Slam to hunt um, sandbar. So I had hunted sandbar in Australia previously, and in the U.S., um, the Hearst Ranch originally, when they set this up in the early 1900s, they had a zoo as part of the castle so you take this little walk around that was basically a mile and they had bear enclosures so they had grizzly bear brown bear polar bear black bears uh they had animals from around the world right lions tigers 
a uh, bunch of African stuff and, and you could see all this there. Well, just like anything, right? There, there was, and I think it was the 20s, 20s or 30s, there was a, a fire and a whole bunch of stuff got out, right? So now it's all free range there. Obviously, there's some stuff that you couldn't have roaming around, like you can't have bears and, and tigers roaming around California. But then there's other stuff that that they let, right? And it's been wild there since, free ranging wild sandbar in California. And it's on the Hearst Ranch, but it's also on neighboring ranches because they've, they've mm-hmm. extended their range and so forth. Right. Um, so, like, they're free-ranging sandbar to hunt in California. Well, I looked at that and been, well, they've been free-ranging for about 100 years here in the U.S. So I'm going to include that as part of the, the deer slant. So I look at something that's been around for 100 years, kind of like the mule deer on Catalina Island. Mm-hmm. They've been there right. for 100 years. Well, I'm only 40. So they've been here over twice as long as I have. I consider that, you know, it's not native for around us, but when does it count that they've been there for a hundred years? Like what kind of credit do you get for that? Exactly. So that's where I'm like, I'm going to add sandbar to the list and they've only do a, uh, four hunts a year for sandbar there. And also some of the best Thule elk hunting is on the Hearst ranch. So I'm like, okay, now we're going to make this thing a, a party, right? We're going to go after while we're on the same trip, we're going to go after sandbar and bring my muzzleloader. We're going to go after a, a Thule elk for the, the, uh, triple threat slam that I'm doing, trying to get the North America 29 with with three different weapons, being the bow, muzzleloader, rifle, and then they've got Audad there too. So you're like, okay, we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna just go after everything, right? And it turned out to be awesome, like oh, super amazing. Yeah. First of all, you're hunting the coast, so it's like I, I consider it like you're hunting Hawaii, right? <laughs> yeah, the Pacific Island or the Pacific um, Ocean's right there. Every morning you wake up, it's there. You can smell the the seawater and everything, and and then the the ranch is a low pressure hunting situation, so you get to see the elk and they're not running at three miles away, right? Like they're on the hill. Oh, we side. were we were we yeah. were the only hunters on eighty five thousand acres. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, <laughs> crazy. So anyway, like that that hunt started off. We were able to take a great audad um, in big groups this time of year. They were starting to rut down there or over there. Mm-hmm. I guess not down there. I guess it's over there to the west yeah. from where I'm at over there they were starting to rut so you had the the rams with the with the big group at use I think the ram that we shot out of that group had 130 some oh is is the most oh, I mean I've I've been audit before in Texas but this is the most audit I've ever seen in one spot they just it was we set up as they were feeding um our direction right on the hillside so we got down there winds perfect set up and all of a sudden you got a group and then more and then they just keep coming and you're like Oh my gosh, they just are filling the skyline and you see the, you see the biggest Ram in the group. And now it's all of a sudden he's in a group of 18 or 20 others and they're all segmented on this hillside and you're just waiting for him to clear, to give that space, to get a shot in there, but like super old Ram. Awesome. Well, that's another thing that's tough too, is being on on the same um, mindset of like, okay, which animal are we going to shoot? So between me, you and the, and, and, um, the guy jake like we we really had to communicate really well on which one that we were going to take so like you i remember you and jake had your eyes on 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 the one and i'm just like they all look the same to me (laughs) like i i'm not around audad to know like which one's the biggest or which one's the oldest right Mm -hmm. and when they're all together like that it can be super tough to be on the same page with the hunter and uh i mean it all ended up, up turning out well but yeah, I think that was like that was that was kind of tough. It was a little nerve wracking, right? I just want to make sure I'm on the right one. Yep, yep. 
because there were so many. But yeah, that was that was a cool hunt. And then you know, and then we can get to the Thule elk where you don't think of hunting elk by the ocean. No, so that just it blew my mind. Hey, so we get there, and there by this time of year, the there were still a few bulls that were bugling. And I would say, like they described it, bets it's the younger bulls, like the herd bulls have already done, and they're off in a bachelor group. And now the satellite bulls have moved in, and they're going to be with the cows for another week or so. And that's basically how it was. So we we caught a big group of bachelor bulls. I want to say there's nine or something in there, nine or ten mm-hmm. bulls in there. Yep. there. There's one seven by seven stud. That's all he is, right? Like you look at him, he's he's just a he's a stud bull in that group, and we worked down and, and you could see the cut like the whole time where you could see them, we're hunting them. The ocean's right there, like a half mile away, half mile, three right. quarters of a mile. It's right there. It's in your view the whole time. And we have to work down and, and our first stock in, we, we use this brush and, and crawl around and get to 200 and I think it was 220 yards set up. Mm-hmm. And all you can see is the bull's head. Like it's their head and neck and just couldn't get elevated enough to get a shot. Then we back out, do a big circle around to the other side, pop up. And I'm pretty sure that this is where I got poison oak on my stomach from crawling right there. You, yeah, you were, you were in the element. You were crawling. <laughs> I was like, man, I got to get elevated and I got to crawl like another 30 yards. So I'm just belly crawling through this sage and everything, just slicing up my arms and my stomach. But I am like, the elk is right there. And if I can get elevated enough, it's, it's game over, right? Finally get set up there and, and elk are smart and the wind's kind of swirling a little bit and they can tell something's up. So they're going to, they're going to boogie. And it was like that last, he finally clears the rock for me. I get the safety click off. I hear behind me, wait. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? And then okay, just, so let me, let me, let me, okay, let me elaborate. You can, it. you can hop it. Okay. Let me elaborate on the, on the wait. Uh, I mean, I had him clear as day, right? So when he started moving toward us, um, it was like, I was like, okay, in my head, I'm like, shoot, shoot, shoot. I mean, I wasn't saying that, but because I knew, I mean, you were going to shoot when you were ready, yep. right? And that's when, you know, the communication between the hunter and the shooter are, are spot on because as as you know, like, you know, we're trying to film this. We, we want to get it on film. So yep. like, if I say, wait, you're not going to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, so like being on the same page is huge. And in that moment, it, it can happen so quick, right? So when he was when when he cleared that rock you were on him but i had a bunch of brush in front of me so i had a tripod with my camera and you know as 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 the shooter you have to make a move you know the hunter is set and ready to go and ready to pull the trigger at any moment but you as a as a as a shooter have to get this 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 animal on camera so even though there's brush in front of me i can't just say wait don't shoot it and then he was he was going to leave he was going to yep. be you know he's he's 5 to 10 steps from being out of out of sight out of mind um and i just i literally lifted the camera started freehanding it i mean i'm using a 50 to 500 lens on a on a sony a7 III, and uh you know if anybody has a film before, you know, it can, it can get a little shaky. Yep. Right? It's definitely when you're free handing it with the tripod underneath it. So I get the tripod underneath or I get the tripod up and I get him in frame. And then I say, take them. Right. And, and it was, you could just see the back of his antlers and then his whole body. And you absolutely boom, yeah. smoke him with the smoke pole. That was, Yeah. That was that was awesome. The muzzleloader shot was good, and I, mean, I think he ran like thirty-five yards out of sight. And the 
the uh, other guides that were scouting down below, watching them with their with their spotting scope and so forth, gave the old "Hey, he just fell over behind the." He sat there and tumbled, and I mean, just a stud of a tule elk. I mean, seven oh. seven by seven. So I mean, just just studly. There'll be obviously pictures all over social media and so forth coming up here. But I mean, just a greater bull than what I could have expected, right? Like, oh just, yeah, just an just an awesome bull. And, and the situation too, like, uh, again, we go back on, on filming it real time, right? Yep. We weren't going to go back and, and do a bunch of cutaways because after we killed the Tule elk, our next mindset was the sandbar. Sandbar. Yep. And then we'd, and, been, uh, we'd been hunting sandbar pretty hard, pretty hard there. Oh yeah. The first, the first two days was, was full day hunts, yep. you know, going after these guys. And we knew this, we knew the sandbar was going to be the hardest animal to, uh, to, to get and we figured you know why not get the hardest one out of the way yeah. well you know that can all that that takes takes a lot out of you when you know it was it wasn't we were seeing sandbar and uh you know we had quite a few good encounters just not the right one yeah um and then you know midday it was just the perfect time to go after those elk because they bed and wide open yep so it was it was it was a great uh, transition from going to sandbar to tule elk, and then when we killed the tule elk, you know, getting all that real time stuff. You know, I think I had a GoPro running, and having you crawling in front, like you just can't reenact that. So yeah, no. it all came together really, really well. So onto that sandbar, we had passed on a younger stag oh, early, gosh, and he looks so good, right? Oh, 30, 30, 30 yards, thirty yards, so good. Passed on him. Jake, Jake said, "Don't," and we and. We pass. I'm happy we did now, right? But during that time, you're like, yikes. Well, at that time, we're like, we could have been done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 33 yards with the muzzleloader. So I'm hunting a sandbar with a muzzleloader too. And you're like, oh. man, I'll take a chip shot. I will. I'll take a chip shot. Not everything has to be like, hey, he's got a Gunworks muzzleloader. Let's see if he can shoot at 330 yards. <laughs> like, right. I, I will take a chip shot every once in a while. Um, oh, and... and- as a producer, too, being 30 yards, I'm like, game over. Let's do this. Yeah. It looks so good on the screen. But, oh. but we continued on, and they and the guys had scouted before we got there, and they had seen this really big stag, but it had a broken front on it. And they still said mm-hmm. it's a giant stag. He just has a broken front. So we did. We looked for him a couple times, didn't see him, cruised the, cruised the ranch, and and – they generally hang out in the same area, same area being, you know, there's a three or four mile drainage system that you can look for and they move back and forth and so forth. But so we'd, we'd check and there'd be like, Hey, there was a, a, a decent stag here last year. So we'd check that area and see if we could find him and so forth. Finally, that, that afternoon we, we spot him and he's there with, I think seven hinds or six hinds. So he's, yeah, he's yep. with a big group and he's rutting. Um, and where he's at, we we can make a play, and we come on the on the back side of him. And again, you're belly crawling again, and and trying to get above this sagebrush to get a shot. And now you're, they only move like the last hour of daylight this time of year, and and so forth. Like I, I don't know how many times I can say it's hot during the day. They don't move during the day. They just come out at right. night, right? So then yeah. it's like, okay, you're down to the last hour. Came out, and we were, I mean, we were 115 yards away, but this stalk in took. 30 minutes in the, it's one of those, like the heart's going the whole time because you're cat and mousing this whole group, right? Like you're through the brush and you're like, I can see a hind head and you're like right. waiting, waiting, where can I get there? And you get to the edge to try to set up for a shot. And you're like, I just out of sight. 
You wait for them to move a little bit more, and then you move an extra 15 yards, and you set up, and you're like, ah, there he is. You can just see the tips of his of his antlers, and hey, he disappears, and then you move again. And, like, this whole thing is, like, 30 minutes and just going nonstop. You're like, going to get a shot, didn't get a shot. Going to get a shot, didn't get a shot. Well, and, and we were, we were, we had very minimal time. Like it was getting dark. Like, yeah. It was, we, I mean, we hit it perfect, right? It was that, it was that golden hour, mm-hmm. but that hour turned into a half hour that turned into 20 minutes that yep. turned into, you know, we had 15 minutes left of light. Yep. And he, uh, so we finally around this whole edge and, and it's going to turn out awesome when it's edited together. <sighs> and all of a sudden the hinds start feeding out right to left. And it's like one, two, three. Four. And you're like, it's it for like, I'm set up on a, on a, um, tripod spotting scope. So like half yep. knee, half like an awkward situation with a muzzle loader. It's going to be a hundred and I think 25 yard shot when he, when he comes out and you know, he's coming, right? He's pushing right. that whole group out. And at this point, the heart is just, I mean, it's just faster, 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 <laughs> faster, 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 faster. And then all of a sudden he comes out and you're like, all he needs to do is stop. Like I'm on him, I'm swiveling with him. All he has to do is stop for a split second. And that's like where the guys in the field, right? Like Jake instantly, like he's not going to stop. He's going to be out of sight. He whistled and it just, he brought his head up and looked and all of a sudden the the muzzleloader cloud goes everywhere and you see him run. He, he went like 35 yards, but he fell into this deep ravine. I mean, deep, deep. And he got hung up on this hindsight. Probably a poison oak scrub brush, right? Like he got hung up on this and it's like, okay, we've got 10 minutes by the time we get to him. It is getting dark. Um, so we do the recovery one. Like he's hanging literally upside down in this tree, basically. And, and body way bigger than what I was expecting, by the way. We oh, up to him. So big. Dude, so big. And, and, you know, he's like, he's just as big as an elk. If, if you look at that one picture that we took, where we took a picture of the elk and the yep. all dad and the mule deer, the face on the, uh, um, the sandbar and the elk were damn near the same size. Yeah. Yeah. They are, they are giant, giant animals. And I'm thinking like, Oh, let's just drag them up top and take a couple yeah. photos. <laughs> it's like, no. So we did the recovery there, got them gutted out. Cause there's, I mean, there's nothing you can do, right? You're in the middle of the ranch. You're going to have to drive something to get them, get them all out. Yep. So luckily it was getting down into the forties at night. So he, he held, we came back there the next morning, um, used one of the guys Jeep with a winch on it. Took, I don't know, about 30 minutes to winch him out of there, did videos yep. and, and so forth. Now, I, as we got back and I was driving at like 1230 in the, in the night after we landed back into Grand Rapids here in Michigan, I got the text, Hey, just so you know, he is the pending world record sandbar with a muzzleloader. So oh. that was, that was pretty cool. So obviously they got to wait the, the drying period. Right. But right. let's just put it this way. He would have to shrink a lot of inches, not to be the world record. Right. And, and, and there isn't a lot of uh, people registering nope. for the world record. Right. No, nope. no. Nope. Cause well, first of all, you can only hunt four of them a year. Right. And then you're like, right. who's the crazy guy that's going to bring a muzzleloader. No, that was, that was me. <laughs> exactly. That was me. So yeah. That was, that was pretty cool. And this is with a broken front, too. So if he would have had yep. his front, it would have been another 12 to 14 inches on top. Yeah. Even, and, yeah, I don't want to take away anything from this thing because he is he's so big, so big, um, you know. And, yeah, it was just it was a great sandbar to take. And congratulations because that's it's a huge accomplishment, not only getting it, you know, part of the, the North American white or North American deer slam, but you get a world record out of it, too. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty sweet. So North American Deer Slam 31 
deer species, that was that sandbar was number 10. Out of the 10, just out of happenstance, because I, I used my muzzleloader, two of the 10 are world records, the Columbia Whitetail in Oregon that I took last fall world record, and then right. the sandbar. Um, so, like, everybody's like, how's it coming? And I, like, I break it down. I'm like, man, I'm 10 in, and I sit there, and I think, like, man, of the 10, two are world records. Like, that's a heck of a start to this thing that's that's going to take, like, I tell everybody's like, how long is it going to take? I'm like, man, it's probably a five to six to seven year thing right i've had oh, more yeah, unsuc- unsuccessful hunts for deer than i did along any of the the wing shooting slams that i've done right like right I, and and we're not we're not going to each trip sh- just shooting one to say you know we can yep. check that off yep. you know we're going for mature we're going yep. for uh you know uh a decent size right we're yep. not just shooting I, th- I feel like the only one that we kind of were like let's Cross this off the list was the West Coast uh, um, Mexican Gulf Coast year. Yeah, Me- yeah, Mexican yeah, yep. Gulf Coast. Yep. That, was, that was that was a tough hunt. That was a brutal. That was a brutal one. Very buggy down there. Very, yeah, very buggy. But yeah, <clears throat> I've been unsuccessful on a bracket deer. I've been unsuccessful to Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've un- unsuccessful to Kentucky a couple of times because I'm looking for a certain deer down there. So you're like, man, you start adding these these trips up to where you're unsuccessful for for them they, they start adding up and it just adds time right like i want i want each one to come out come out perfect 100 and you're doing other things other than yep. just the 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 north american deer slam you're doing the waterfall slams and you know you're going to different countries and and you went to croatia this year so yeah like it's, it's a lot <laughs> yep it is a lot but i love it Right. Love it. And the, and the fall's only a short period of time. And then all of a sudden it'd be coaching girls basketball for me, which I love too. Um, but that, mm-hmm. that time's right around the corner. Well, and, and too, I, and I'm, I think I'm in a really good spot too, where I have the ability to slow down edit. Right. But then I also can go out in the field. It's, it's like, I'm in a perfect, happy medium where I'm traveling enough to still experience. And I love to travel and I think I'll, I'll never stop traveling. Um, but you know, then, you know, right now I can take a break, regather myself and get back in the editing bay. So yeah, I'm, it was, it was fun. It was a good trip overall for sure. It was a great one. Great. Well, thank you for your time today. I don't know about, well, actually I do know about you. It's probably time to reapply the old cream over there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, as we're talking about all this, this poison oak and poison ivy, I am just itching my arm to death. <laughs> well, I just, I look at my stomach and it is definitely like yesterday. I didn't even notice it until yesterday afternoon. I, I hop out of the shower. I'm like, what is this? And then I wake up this morning. I'm like, eee. definitely, yeah. has, definitely has went from about a two and a half inch area to about a 12 inch area. Oh, and, now, and, and I, it's starting to hit the itch stage for me. Like I thought I was clear. I thought I was out of it. I didn't think I was going to get any of it. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm not liking where this is heading. Yeah, like I said, it, it spread to my face. Now it's in my arms. It's in between my fingers. Oh, yeah. It's. I'm sure your wife. It's not good, but I'm th- sure your but, wife is just happy having you covered with a giant rash. Oh yeah, but fortunately, like I, I did take the time yesterday and went to urgent care and and, and got that steroid shot, and I think that's going to help big time. But. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it takes a couple of days to go into effect, but it'll at least it'll make it so it doesn't spread worse. So just imagine how bad you are right now, and just think it could be a lot worse. And it should speed oh. up your recovery time too. It should, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get get over this, 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 this itch <laughs> for sure, for sure. All right, thank you, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? 
then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, call 1-800-755-8247. Enjoy your journey.